pray before I get distracted by eyelash curlers. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for uh, just this time in your house, just this time to, to worship your name um, in song. And we pray now that we worship you uh, in the study of your word. Um, and not just that it would be knowledge in our heads, Lord, but that, that this might be something that we live by, something that we allow your Holy Spirit to, to live out in our own lives. And so we pray, Lord, for um, your constant faithfulness to be shown um, through your word and that we would um, live out, Lord, the gospel that is taught to us. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray all of these things. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So we have been in the minor prophets lately, or I should say the prophets, not just the minor. And as we've been going through the prophets, we've been seeing men and women that God used to, uh, for his purposes, to share his message with the people of Israel. Unfortunately, the people did not listen to some of these messages. And as a result of the Israelites disobeying God, not listening to his warnings, the Israelites were sent into exile. And exile was where the Israelites were captured by a foreign nation, the Babylonian Empire. They were taken over and all the people, or most of the people, were dragged off as prisoners or servants to a foreign land, a foreign empire, to be slaves or to be captives there. So many of the Israelites are living in exile, but God is still speaking to them in this hard time. God still loves them in this hard time. And we're going to see a heroine here in the story named Esther. Raise your hand if you've heard of Esther before. Ever heard of the story of Esther? Okay, a couple of you guys. Uh, it is a VeggieTales episode, so you should check it out. It's really informative. Um, but we're going to talk more the next two weeks about Esther herself. Uh, I want to give a quick overview of the first two chapters, and we're actually going to start here at the end of chapter 2. So here's the, the story of Esther. Uh, Esther and her family are in exile again in the, not the Babylonian Empire, but the Medo-Persian Empire. So check this out. This is pretty bad, okay? Uh, the Israelites first were conquered by the Babylonians and dragged off into captivity, and then somebody took over the people that had taken them over. Basically, it's like getting swallowed by a fish, and then that fish gets swallowed by another fish. And you're still inside of a fish, inside of a fish. So it's not cool. But the Israelites are captured. And now their captors have been captured. And they're still captured. Captured? 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 Captors. Kept. I'm going to move on. You get it, okay? They're captive in this uh, place by the Medo-Persian Empire. And at the time, the king was a man that you may have heard of. His name was King Xerxes. King Xerxes famously lost to, or I shouldn't say lost, uh, but famously fought King Leonidas and the 300 Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. So you should uh, check it out. It's pretty cool, guys. Um, when we talk about the Bible, sometimes we make this mistake where we look at the Bible as fables or stories. And these aren't fables or stories. This is a historical account. Esther was a real woman in history. And, and when we read this, please don't take these as fables or stories like Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty or Aladdin, these are, these are real-life stories, even if they made a real-life-action Aladdin, okay? He's not real, just letting you know. Um, that wasn't like a documentary, okay? It was fake. Okay, moving on. I didn't mean to crush your dreams and hopes. Moving on, though, um, we have here King Xerxes in the story. He's the king over the Medo-Persian Empire and over the Israelites that are captive there. And uh, the story starts off, and King Xerxes gets angry at his wife. He tells his wife... To, to come to him and she, he says, hey, wife, uh, come in here. I'm having a party with my friends. I want to show off how hot you are. Literally, this is what he wants to do. And he said, please come in here and, and you know, show off. And she says, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not like to be beckoned by you as the king. She stands up for herself. Women go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, listen, you don't tell me what to do. 
Ladies, unfortunately, as you might know, in history, you did not have the same rights as you do now, okay? Because when she does this, the king gets angry, and he has a conference with his nobles. And this is literally the conversation they have, which I think is hilarious, okay? They get together, and the king's like, hey, my wife said no when I asked her to do something. What do we do? And the other guy's like, I don't know. Like, if, if you don't stand up to your wife, like, other wives might, like, not listen to their husbands and do whatever they say, okay? And that would be terrible if women had rights and could live equally as men, right? No, that's not terrible. Just for the record. That's what they were saying. Don't hurt me. Anyway, um, so they, they decide we have to banish your wife, okay, to teach her a lesson, to put women in their place. Well, Esther will show you how women are awesome later. But anyway, they banish the queen, and now the king, Xerxes, is like, so this is awkward. I uh, don't have a queen now. Um, I really wish I had a wife. And so his, again, brilliant nobles come up with this idea. They go, all right, picture this, all right? What if we went through all the land and found eligible bachelorettes, okay? And we found the prettiest girls, and we brought them all to you, and you got to pick which one you thought was the prettiest and the best, and then you got to marry her. And they said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And then we'll put on an ABC and call it The Bachelor, okay? You know? It's kidding. Do you guys even know that show? No? Yeah. The girls are like, yeah. The boys are like, no. <laughs> yeah, boys, stay away from it. Anyway, moving on. The Bachelorette is, oh, wow, you're very informed. You are really informed on The Bachelorette. We'll talk afterwards about Chris Harrison and your theories. Okay, moving on. So anyway, they begin then to go throughout the land and take girls who uh, will be brought before the king. And unfortunately, this is not something where ladies volunteered necessarily. They were taken some of against their own will. And so one of these girls was named Esther. Everybody say Esther. So Esther is taken against her will, perhaps, and is forced into a year-long beauty school where literally they, like, you know, do her hair up, they, like, wash her in perfumes, like, all this, literally for a year, just to get ready to meet the king. Some of you girls are like, it's not so bad, okay? Well, first of all, the king probably was pretty old, which is gross, okay? Second of all, like, you really don't have much of a say in the matter. So when she is taken into, you could even say, captivity uh, for this year-long process, Um, Her uncle, who is her godfather, you could say, or her um, adopted father, who's named Mordecai, tells her, listen, keep your ethnicity a secret. Don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. Don't tell them your race, okay? Hide your ethnicity or your race as a Jew so that people won't judge you for it or so that you might not be mistreated. Because the Jews were treated very poorly and seen as servants or slaves in this empire. And so her uncle was telling her, listen, don't let people know what race you are, she won't be judged. And so she hid her nationality as a Jew. All right, That'll be important later in the story. Anyway, um, as I said, uh, she was actually a beautiful Jewish girl. And the king, when he saw all the girls, he chose Esther to be his queen. So Esther was made the queen. Everybody go, queen. Most of the girls did that. Okay, moving on. Anyway, moving on. So she is now the queen of the entire Persian Empire, which is pretty crazy because here is this servant girl in Israel who was literally part of a a class of people that were considered slaves, and now she is the queen over all of Persia uh, with King Xerxes over her as well. So in this story, however, I want to come back to Mordecai. She most likely had no parents. Maybe they had been killed um, when they were taken as exiles. Maybe they had passed away for another reason. But she had her uncle, Uncle Mordecai, who watched after her and was her adoptive father. And while she was away for the pal- in the palace for a year, he didn't probably get to see her. 
But what he would do is he would send her messages from the front gate of the palace. So maybe he'd go to a servant and say, hey, send this message um, to Queen um, Esther. Again, trying to keep his distance from her because he didn't want anyone to know that she was a Jew because it could be dangerous for her. So as he's sending these messages, something interesting happens here. You know how like you're watching a movie and there's like a side story going on? Like, you know how like maybe you're watching like the original Star Wars and, you know, the normal story is going on. And then there's this character called Jar Jar Binks and he's super irritating. All right. You know, it's kind of like that where there's a side character, a side thing going on. So we're going to jump into the story of Esther the next two weeks. And we're going to pause here in her story. And we're going to briefly talk about something that happens to her uncle Mordecai. All right. So. Read with me here, chapter 2, verse 21. It says this. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigertha, or Bigertha, or whatever, and and Teresh, were guards at the door of the king's private quarters. They became very angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it, and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation had been made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. What a lovely ending to a story. You know how they're like, and they lived happily ever after. But this one is, and they were impaled until they died. Okay, so uh, basically, Mordecai is there at the city gates, or the temple gates, or not temple, sorry, palace gates, trying to get messages into Esther. And while he's there, he overhears two guards talking. And they're not happy with King Xerxes, and they're frustrated with him, and they hatch an assassination plot to kill him. Well, Mordecai overhears this, and he does something that was actually pretty dangerous. He risked his life because these guys could have turned on him and killed him. And he reported this news to Esther, who then in turn reported it to the king. The king's life was saved after investigation was done. They caught these two guys, and they killed them and gave them a punishment. And even though Mordecai was given credit for what he did, Nothing happened. He didn't get a a presidential medal or award. He didn't get a bunch of money. Nothing was done for him in particular, even though he chose to do the right thing, even though he even risked his own life in doing this. I mean, imagine, if you will, that there's a moment where, you know, let's say the president comes to town. The Donald is here, okay? And you're, he's visiting, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, maybe a bus careens out of the way and is flying towards the Donald. And you go, the Donald! And you push him out of the way and save his life. You would picture, like, after you save his life, he wouldn't go, thanks, and move on, right? You picture he'd be like, we're hosting a parade in honor of this brave soul who saved my life, you know. He'd probably be like, I'm giving you a billion dollars. You'd picture, you know, you'd get some money, you'd get a medal, like, I'm giving you the Trump Award. It's from Trump, me. And, you know, you, you'd picture this would happen, right? You'd be on CNN, you know, you'd go on Ellen. Like, you'd picture, like, these big moments would happen in your life, right? But... But actually, imagine that nothing happened. Well, this is what happens to Mordecai. He saves the most powerful man on the planet's life, and nothing happens. And you read this story, and you think, man, like, he's got to be a little disappointed. Like, have you ever done something that you thought was awesome or impressive or incredible, and, like, nobody noticed? Like, maybe you're just, you know, sitting there at the cafeteria, and you got your water bottle, and you're just, like, void. So you're, like, flip. Flip. And you flip it, and, you know, maybe it lands once up. You're like, cool. And then you flip it, and it lands on the bottle cap, like, straight up. And you're like, whoa, did you see? And you look around, and no one saw it. And you're, like, super disappointed. Like, wow, no one saw that amazing thing that I did. Like, how is that possible? Or maybe, like, you're, like, going down the stairs, and you trip, and you do a somersault cartwheel, and then land and go, yes. And you look around, and everybody just keep walking to class. You're like, 
did you see that? I fell down four sides of stairs, did eight somersaults, and landed on a handstand. And no one even cares, right? Or maybe that doesn't happen to you in real life, okay? Maybe that doesn't happen. Let me give some maybe more common analogies, okay? Let's say that you make your all-star lacrosse team. All-star lacrosse, you were the best on your team, and you make it to the all-star team. And so what do you do? You get an all-star lacrosse shirt, and you decide to wear that around. You're like, hey, guys, what's up? How you doing? Yeah, I just uh, got this new shirt. What do you think of it? Yeah, I'm on the all-star lacrosse team, okay? And then maybe you post about it, like, made it the all-star lacrosse championship because I'm on the all-star lacrosse team because I'm awesome. Like, you know, you keep progressing. Or, or ladies, maybe you just have a really good makeup day, okay? You follow the YouTube tutorial. You did the makeup. It looks perfect. And listen, you don't want to sit in your room on a summer day with beautiful makeup and not let people know how awesome you look. So what do you do? You take your phone and you snap and you snap and you snap and you get a candid snap and you snap, okay? And you get the self-timer down and you snap and you take some pictures and then you post them because why? You look good and you want people to know you look good, okay? You did really good on your makeup and you want people to leave those comments. Oh, girls, this gorgeous girl, you want fire, fire emojis, you know? Like what? You want that approval from people. You want that praise from people. Or maybe you get that grade back on your test. This was always like a little game my teacher and I would play. Every time the teacher would be passing back tests, I'd be sure. No, no, face down, face down. She's like, okay. She should put it face down, okay? And then what do you do? You peek at the top of the test. There's my name. I spelled it right, okay? And then you see your grade, right? And if you got a good grade, what, what do you do with your test? You put it face up on your desk, okay? You want people to, he's over here waving it like, I do this, okay? That's not really subtle. But, you know, I leave it face up, okay? If I get a bad grade, I do, Eep. And I leave it down. I don't want anyone to see that grade, okay, except my parents when they go online and check it, which is really frustrating. But anyway, if you get a good grade, though, you flip it up, and you're like, oh, what's that? C+. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) That's a good Barrett grade, okay? I don't know what you got in school or get, but C+, is a good Barrett grade, okay? So I'm like, yeah, what up, C+. (laughs) Only missed, like, half the questions. What up? No, like, it's only, like, literally, like, three questions and you missed two. You're bad at fractions. Moving on. Okay. So check it out. You want to brag about that. You want people to know about it. When you have a good report card, you tell your parents, Hey, 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 did you check online yet? Did you see the report cards at homeschoolers? If you don't know, kids get their grades posted online. Okay. Unfortunately for you, your parents know immediately if you're homeschool, what your grade was. Because they're grading your homework, okay? They know immediately what your grade is, which is really hard to hide from them. Uh, but anyway, you're like, hey, hey, mom, dad, you see my grade? They're amazing. When you get a bad grade, you try to unplug your parents' computer, okay? You try to break their iPhones. You don't want them to check the grades that you got because you don't want them to know. But when you get good grades, you want the praise. You want people to appreciate your hard work. Well, guys, sometimes... We care so much about getting that praise from people and people recognizing what we do. And yet sometimes when we do the right thing, when we do something incredible, we do something right, something even godly, sometimes it feels like nobody notices. Maybe you're at the cafeteria at your lunch table and some friends are gossiping and you're like, hey, we're going to shut that down. We're not going to gossip. And all your friends don't go, wow, you're right. You're an amazing godly person and I really appreciate what you said. 
that's usually not what happens, okay? You go, hey, guys, we need to shut this gossip down. It's not right. And they go, you're a loser. Shut up, okay? You know, you don't get the appreciation that you think maybe you deserve. Or maybe, you know, you're at home. And somehow your friend sends you, like, the, the test answers for the next day. Or maybe you're at the cafeteria and your friend who just took the test that you're about to take next block is like, yo, hey, I can tell you everything on the test. And you go, no, I don't want to know. I don't want to cheat on this test. I will do the right thing. And in your mind, like this music's playing, bum, 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 and you're like, I'm a hero. And then you get your grade back, and it was like a D minus. And you're like, darn it. Like, man, it felt like I did the right thing, and yet it didn't work out for me, and nobody patted me on the back for not cheating. Like, why should I even do the right thing? What's the point? So today I want us to talk about something. I want to talk about what should our motivation be for doing the right thing? And why it's not right to just care what other people affirm in you or whether people lift you up or praise you, but rather to seek the approval of God. So let's start here by talking about the approval that people give us. Sometimes it feels like we do things so that, again, we will be honored or we will be praised. I remember when I was in seventh grade, um, in our middle school, we'd have this big assembly where they'd give away some awards and everything. And I remember watching the eighth graders get their awards and they all got this little pin, okay, that they got to wear. It was like a little medal for the best grade or doing the best at a subject. There was like a science, English, math. I don't think there was a PE. But if there was, I would not have won that. I was terrible in middle school PE. Anyway, I would have won lunch, though. If that was a pin, I would have won that one. Anyway, I remember seeing this, and I thought to myself, okay, I think it would be so cool for my name to be called. I go up there, I get some applause, I get a little pin, you know, stuck on me. Uh, that would be really cool. And I was really good at one subject, history. I was terrible at math, science, English, everything else, but history I was good at. So I said to myself, I today, Barrett Phillips, vow to work hard and win this history award. And sure enough, eighth grade finished. We're all at the awards ceremony. And I'm like crossing my fingers. Okay, no, I'm not going to win science, math, whatever, but here's history. And they say, and with the history award for eighth grade, Barrett Chandler Phillips. And I lost it, okay? My friends were like, whoa, Barrett, <laughs> did they make a mistake? Like, they were shocked, you know? I went up there. I, uh, everyone was taking pictures. I got a princ- picture with the principal. Got my little pin there. People were clapping. I'm like, please, thank you, thank you. I tried to make a speech, but apparently that's not a thing, you know? I had this speech written out, like 18 pages. They're like, yeah, you can wave, okay? So I waved at everybody, and I came off the stage, and then I sat down. And that was it. And I thought to myself, wait, I just worked so hard for a whole year. Like, I am proud of the grade I got. Like, that's good because I worked hard. And, and even the Bible talks about working hard and diligently in everything you do. But, but I kind of feel empty. Like, everybody clapped. I got my pen, which I probably could have bought at, like, the Dollar Tree. And um, that's it. And I remember feeling empty. Like, they had clapped for me. They had recognized me. But then they moved on in the ceremony and announced other names and in 10th grade and 11th grade, I skipped 9th grade. I told you I'm bad at math. 9th grade came and all these other grades and, and the applause faded. And guys, when you do something incredible, maybe you do get recognized. Maybe people notice what you're doing. But eventually, eventually all the praise that you get on this earth fades. You can win a Grammy and people talk about you for a time or write articles about you or tweet about you for a time. But then, then people forget who you are. You can win a championship in football, but eventually people forget who the winners of those awards are. People can talk about how you're the greatest on the planet at a sport, and yet eventually you're no longer the greatest, and people forget your name. 
it's important for us to realize that if we care so much about doing the right thing because we want people to praise us, even if they recognize you being a good person or doing the right thing, doing what God asks, eventually their praise will fade into nothing, into silence. So if you live for that, you're going to feel empty. You're going to feel empty. Also, recognize this. Just because people are praising you for doing something does not mean it's the right thing to do. All right? You might be in a room and you see somebody and you decide, you know, I'm going to pick on them. And you pick on them and people laugh. And they're like, dude, that was hilarious. You're so funny. And people might literally lift you up or praise you or honor you or, or applaud what you're doing, even though you might be doing the wrong thing. Just because people approve of what you're doing doesn't mean that it's right. Let me explain. Uh, Did you know that 54% of middle school students right now believe that cheating is okay? They believe that cheating on a test or quiz or school or copying homework, totally okay. That's a majority of the students. Now, just because a majority of students say that it is okay and all right to do does not make it all right to do. If tomorrow Congress passed a law, they said, we have voted unanimously as the Congress of the United States of America to say that lying is totally okay. All right. First of all, politicians love lying, so they would love that law. Okay. And second of all, they'd be like, hey, look, like lying is no longer a bad thing. Actually, in fact, the people that lie the most are going to get honor and praise just because people are applauding you doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. In fact, sometimes doing the right thing today in America or some places in the world actually gets you in trouble. There were people that helped the Jews um, during World War II when they were, their lives were being threatened. They literally risked their lives to save people who were trying to be killed by Nazi Germany. But check this out. Some of those people that were risking their lives doing the, one of the most noble things you can do weren't getting honor and praise for it. They were being killed for it. They were being jailed for it. And I wonder if any of them sat in the jail and thought to themselves, hold on, I did everything right. I'm doing something that is right, and my feels like my reward is this punishment. Why am I not being recognized for doing the right thing? And we can think that on a big scale or on a small scale. Because sometimes doing the right thing actually gets us, it feels like, in trouble with the world. Or the world judges us or calls us names, say, hey, you're doing the right thing, but that's actually hateful. Or you're doing the right thing, and you're just being pushy with your religion, even though you're sharing the gospel. Hey, you're doing the right thing, but, but you're bigoted, or this, or that. And, and sometimes doing the right thing and saying the right thing feels like we actually get hated on for it. I want you to hear this. Um, Who here has heard the quote before? Um, Character is what you do when no one's watching. Anybody heard that before? A couple of you guys? So I actually don't like this quote, and here's why. I agree with the, the premise um, that character is, is something that is in, instilled in you, and whether people are watching or not, your character actually shines through when no one is watching. But, but I disagree with the part where it says no one is watching. I'd rather say this. Character is what you do when only the Lord is watching, when only God's watching. There's never a point in your life where the Lord is not observing or seeing what you're doing. 
you know how we joke that like the FBI agent that lives in my phone, you know, knows everything that I Google, which I'm kind of embarrassed about. Like I'll Google things like how to make mac and cheese. I kind of like expect the, uh, you know, the FBI agent to call me who probably watches my phone and go, hi, you're an idiot. Okay. It's very simple. Follow the box instructions. Goodbye. Okay. Just put it in the microwave. Anyway, but, but really there is someone who watches our lives completely and it's God. And God sees all that we do. And, and sometimes we hear that and we go, like that's a, that's a scary thought. God knows everything that I Google. God knows everything that I say. He knows everything that I speak. He knows everything that I do when no one else is around. And Satan loves to remind us of this fact about God, that God sees all that we do wrong. But it goes both ways. God also sees when you do the right thing and no one else observes it. Here's Mordecai. No one was honoring his name. No one was praising him for doing the right thing. But God saw. And God honored him. And God was proud of him. And maybe you don't cheat on that test. Maybe you're kind to your little sister when it's just you and you're babysitting. Maybe you do the right thing and don't gossip about a friend. And maybe even your friends mock you for it. But know this. God sees you and is proud of you when you do the right thing. He gives you honor and glory and praise, and he gives you applause that does not fade. Let me read this to you. This is my favorite Bible verse, actually, in the Bible, um, and I just love reading it. It's Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It says this, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And remember that your master is Christ who you serve. Here's what that verse is saying. It's saying, listen, don't don't do the right thing. Don't live your life. Don't speak these words. Don't act this way to impress people. They fade. People don't always even know what is right or honor what is right properly. Instead, live your life to honor God. And if you do, when you arrive to heaven, God will reward you in a greater way than any person on earth could. If President Trump gave you a medal and a billion dollars and everybody in the world knew your name for something great you had done, sure, that's nice for a time, but but simply getting the applause of God is far greater than all of these things. All of these things. It's my favorite verse in the Bible, honestly, because it's one of the hardest ones for me to believe. See, I'm a people pleaser. I want people to be proud of me, to recognize me. I, I liked, again, as I said, when I went on the stage and people clapped for me and said my name. But I'm challenged by this verse because I'd rather care what God thinks of me than what people think of me. I'd rather live a life and get to the end of it and say, Lord, I did my best to honor you, to make you proud. Here's the beautiful thing, guys. As I said, Um, God loves us and forgives our sin. Satan loves to to remind us, hey, God sees everything that you do. And he spreads lies like God could never forgive you. God is sickened by you. He is not proud of you. He's disgusted. But here's the truth. If you're a Christian in this room today and you've accepted the gospel message, which is that God loves you even though you're not perfect and that he died for your sins and that your sins are forgiven, that means when God looks at you, he does not see your sin for it has been forgiven by Jesus, by his work on the cross for you. 
And if you simply believe in him and ask for forgiveness, those sins are gone. So when God looks at you, he doesn't look at your sin and dwell on those things. He's already punished Jesus on your behalf for those sins. That means when God looks at you, he only sees the good. He only looks and is proud of what you have accomplished in the name of Jesus and by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. We have a Father who is proud of us. And everything that we do that honors Him is recorded by God and not forgotten. So this isn't the end of the Mordecai story. If you flip over here to chapter 6, something incredible and cool happens here. One night the king can't sleep and he asked for a book to be read to him, which is kind of funny to me because it's like a nighttime bedtime story for the king. And the book that he wants to have read, which is even funnier, is the book about his own life. He has people who literally spend their life writing a book about him. And he goes, I want to read my favorite book, the one about me, all right, the handsome king who does everything right. And so they come in, they're reading this book about his life. Then the king played with his rubber ducky in the bathtub. Oh, uh, delete that part. Okay, moving on. So, you know, they're flipping through his book, uh, the story of his life. And then they come to the part where Mordecai saved his life. And they go, and then Mordecai saved the king's life from an assassination. And the king goes, hey, what was done for that guy? And they go, well, actually, nothing was done for him. So the king, after talking to an advisor, decides, here's what we're going to do. Even though it's been a long time since this guy saved my life, because of what he has done and because he has done good for me, I want to honor him. So put him on a horse, parade him through the city, give him a nice robe to wear, and shout in front of him that the king is pleased with this man and he has done what is right. And he was honored by the king. Even though he wasn't honored in the moment, he was honored later because the king did not forget. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to this and I, as I close. Please live a life, not that you get temporary satisfaction from people. Live a life and know this, when your life ends, you will meet the king. You will look at him face to face. And the Bible says those who honor and love him and do what is right, he will look at and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And he will honor you and he will praise you in a greater way than anyone on this earth could, than any mortal could praise you. God will express his pride in you as his son or as his daughter. Live for that praise. Live for the applause of God alone. And simply ask this question when you're going to do something. Ask, would God be proud of this? And if so, do it. Doesn't matter if it's hard. Doesn't matter if it makes other people angry or uncomfortable. Do what honors God, even if it's something hard, even if it's something challenging, even if it is uncomfortable. But it'd be easier to cheat on this test. But but it feels like no one would know. No, no, do what honors God. But if I if I stand up to the person bullying, I might get bullied. It might might shine poorly on me. No, no, no. Do do what would honor God. But I don't want to listen to my parents. And they don't, I feel like they don't even know me and they don't really know what I need. No, no, no. Do what honors God. You know what is right. The Holy Spirit of God speaks to you. He tells you what is right and wrong and you know. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Follow Him in obedience and say, God, I want to make you proud. I'm sure that 
maybe you've had a moment in your life where there's somebody you respect and you want to make proud. Maybe you've had a teacher that you really respect and you want to get a good grade to make them proud of you. Or, or maybe your parents have come to a baseball game or maybe, more importantly, a crush has come to one of your games and you're like, oh, okay, hold on, I'm up at softball, bases are loaded, my crush is there, like going, hey, I really want to make this and impress them. I really want to do well. We should look at God and say, God, I want to make you proud and I want to honor you with my life. Let's do that. Father God, we we pray to you right now and we just thank you, Lord, for your love for us, for the forgiveness that you freely offer to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would do what is right. Not because we're seeking to earn our salvation, for we know that we cannot earn our salvation, but, but do what is right to get honor and glory from you, our one true king. And the only audience member to our life who truly sees everything and who truly still loves us. And Lord, we just close by reading these verses from Colossians 3.23. We close by saying, work willingly at whatever you do, as though we are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. We pray this, Lord, over our own lives, and we ask your help in doing it. It's the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Everybody said? Amen.